The older I get, the more I realize there are just some things I don't know. Balancing a budget, for example. I'm not a financial whiz. Sure, I know batting averages, passing and rushing yards, three-point shooting percentage. But intentionally putting away money for retirement? That's where my friends at NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast come in. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the financial world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning my tax bills so I don't dread April every single year. Actually, I was one of the first in line this time around. Saving on travel so that I can take my girls on trips. Because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. So enjoy the things you love, the Ole Miss Rebels, your family, your friends, knowing that your financial situation is taken care of with advice that you followed from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter and in the guest co-host chair. It's back home. It's where it's supposed to be. It's Sudu Upadeya, or when I asked Siri to call Sudu, Sudu Upadhaye. Hey, buddy. What's up, man? How are you? Doing well, man. Doing well. Glad to be on a show called Talk of Champions. Makes me feel uh, like a true champ. Oh, no, you're a failure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, this is the content that the Ole Miss Spirit community has been missing out on. You um, giving me a hard time. It's been a while. We used to do the Ole Miss Spirit podcast together three years ago. It's been a while. Yeah, we did. I used to have a lot of fun doing that, man. No, you didn't. I had a great time. It I miss it all the time. Yeah. I'm sure you think about it every night when you're laying awake in your bed. And, oh, man. Me and Ben. What a good time. I do, man. I do. And the I, good you know, old I days. Mess- I get on the message board sometimes still. And, and I, don't, I don't post, but I read. And um, it reminds me of the simpler times, man. It reminds me of uh, the good days. In about 50 minutes, an hour from now. Maester Daniel will join for the latest edition of The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers. Season 8, the final season. We're trying to do it every single week. Didn't do it last week, but he's back. Because I'm going to fix the plot and logic holes of Beyond the Wall. But more than that, he's going to answer your Game of Thrones questions. But Sudo, what's your relationship to Ole Miss now? My relationship to Ole Miss? That's a great question, Ben. I'm obviously an alum. Uh, You know, I, I have to cover Ole Miss a little bit, not, not too much. We're definitely uh Memphis centric. Um, well, tell but, people you know, where you are. Well, I'm at WMC action News five for those, um, that, uh, don't know, or those who don't even know me. I used to work for the Ole Miss spirit. Um, Spirit.com and for the two, four, seven sports. That's correct. It was scout when I worked there, but, um, Boo. yeah, WMC, when I graduated school, I've been here as a weekend sports anchor reporter for, uh, two and a half years now. 
And uh, I do cover Ole Miss, so my relationship is weird. You know, I, I can't be just an unabashed homer. I can't just, uh, you know, just be all about Ole Miss. I have to give equal coverage because I also cover Mississippi State, along with Arkansas and Tennessee and, of course, Memphis. So, um, you know, I try to do a really good job of being a big J journalist, Ben. I try to, I try to be, uh, try to be unbiased, but I think it seeps out sometimes. I think people, uh, people call me out on it sometimes. They're like, yeah, why are you so excited to do Ole Miss highlights? You know? And I'm like, I don't know. I just get this energy sometimes when I talk about Ole Miss. The podcast brought to you by Thomas Chandler, your modern woodman representative. If you need help financially, contact Thomas today. He'll help you with retirement, savings, getting your financials in order. He's done it for me. He can do it for you. So what does modern woodman do? How about financial security for you and your family through life insurance, retirement planning, financial services? How about quality family life through member benefits and local fraternal activities? Community impact through local volunteer projects that make a difference where members live, work, and play. If your finances are bogging you down as they were for me, contact Thomas today. He's a personal friend. He's the one to talk to. 662-296-0186. 662-296-0186. To learn more, go to www.modernwoodman.org. That's www.modernwoodman.org. Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. The podcast brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. The car buying process can be overwhelming. Believe me, I've been there, like recently. <laughs> You're just looking to get the best deal anyway, right? If that's the case, and to avoid the headache, head on over to Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. They're going to take care of you and get you into your next vehicle with a great deal. Their inventory is priced to sell. And what separates Alan Samuels is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you. They're hardcore Ole Miss fans, so they'll probably want to talk some Ole Miss basketball, baseball, spring football practices. But more importantly, they'll want to make the process as seamless as possible and make sure you get what you want at a good price. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. Stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. DJ Jeffrey's recruitment had to be fun for you. A lot of fun, man. A lot of fun. Uh, really, any any kind of recruitment <laughs> over the last couple of years um, has been a lot of fun because, um, you know, I run into Yancey sometimes at these events and um, Ooh. He, he walks away a little upset and you can you can see it in his eyes. And, um, you know, I want to go over there and give my guy a hug, but I'm too busy uh, doing these interviews, which Yancey, um, you know, I'm sure would love to be asking questions about why did you go? Why did you commit to Ole Miss? And it hasn't been that way a lot the last couple of years, but I'll never forget when Jeremy Liggins made the ill-advised decision to announce his commitment to LSU at Irie on the Square. Oh, man. Who oh, boy. Yancey. I remember that, the radio interview with Yancey. Oh, man. Oh, man. man. That was tough. Listen, I thought, I thought you know, at N'Kobe Dean signing, Yancey was going to come out with some fire questions as well. He was, uh, he was not happy. I think, I think he, he heard some things, and I think um, as recruiting goes, other things happened. So – you know, but you gotta, you got you just gotta, it's work, you know, it's work for me. I can't really be a fan. So. Well, all these you know. Ole Miss fans have heard what have, what happened to DJ Jeffries from the Ole Miss in from me, from the Memphis in from you. How did Memphis get DJ Jeffries? Uh, Penny Hardaway. He, that's the thing about Penny, man. You know, the, the guy is a national brand. He's, he's a pop culture, you know, fixed in pop culture, uh, iconic pretty much. Uh, worldwide. And so, you know, when Penny Hardaway walks into your living room and has a heart to heart with you and, and words are said and tears are cried, uh, it tends to make a difference. And that's what happened with DJ Jeffries. DJ for a long time 
I was very interested in Memphis. Obviously, Penny was his AAU coach. And, um, you know, somewhere along the way, felt like he was a little underappreciated, undervalued, especially when he decommitted from Kentucky. You know, he went from being one of the top 10 players in the country to, to being bumped down. The recruiting services stopped showing him love. He got a lot of hate mail and stuff from Kentucky. On top of that, he felt like some other prospects, Memphis, for example, who has the number one uh, prospect in the country and James Wiseman. He thought guys like that were getting more attention. So it took Penny to get in there and, and meet with him face to face and let him know, hey, you're special. You remind me of you or, you know, you remind me of me uh, and we can do some great things in Memphis. And uh, that did it for DJ. More fun to cover for you so far. Penny? Ab- absolutely. Or now that Johnny Manziel is in the AAF, which one's more fun? Penny or Johnny Manziel? I'll tell you what, man. I, I think I think Penny's more fun uh, because he's just a Memphis legend, and people here go crazy about Penny Hardaway. And it's not just people from here, man. It's crazy. I'll go to these games, and there's fans from Japan. There's like an entire contingency from Japan covering a G League player here in Memphis, uh, Yuta Watanabe. And these people showed up to the Tigers game to do an entire series. And then there's like I've seen like this Japanese magazine came to do a story on Penny. Like people come from all over the world. Uh, to see this guy and to watch Memphis Tiger basketball because Penny Hardaway's here. So that's a bigger deal. But Johnny's cool as well, man, because you know I, I'm a big fan of Johnny Manziel. Um, and it's that's been fun so far. Okay. How is Johnny adjusting to Memphis? I know you've talked to him. That was your guy. <laughs> that was my guy. That was my guy. And and the reason he's my guy is because I, I stood on the sidelines and watched him beat Ole Miss twice. Yes, twice. And, uh, yeah. and he earned my respect. He earned my respect. Um. He's been great so far. You know, I, I actually asked him yesterday. I was like, so what are you doing? Obviously, he and Chandler Parsons are uh, are really good friends. And uh-oh, so, uh-oh. yeah, since Johnny's been in town, uh, Chan, as he likes to call him, um, they've been hanging out. And I asked him yesterday, I'm like, so just kind of what are you doing, man? Like, you know, what's what's what is Johnny Manziel doing in Memphis, Tennessee? And he's like, man, I've been playing a lot of ping pong. And he's like, the only only anger I've had since I've been in Memphis has been playing ping pong against Chandler Parsons. Cause I'll play 15, 16 games. And he's like, Chandler wins pretty much all of them. Um, I don't know how much of that is true. I mean, it's Johnny Manziel. I'm sure he's going out and having fun, but uh, that was something he, he told us a story about yesterday. I thought that was pretty funny, but you know, he seems to have his head on right overall. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen anything to, to have to worry about anything about Johnny. And, uh, you know, he called Memphis a nice change of pace and something he really needed. And, he seems to be doing fine. Uh, he's been at pretty much every single Grizzlies game, um, you know, been out doing some community service with the Boys and Girls Club. So as of now, he's, he's, he's got everything uh, going, I guess, going well for him. Has Memphis embraced the Alliance of American Football? To an extent. To an extent. I, I don't think Memphis is really a football town, per se. I think you look at Memphis Tiger football and, and what Mike Norvell has done here, and I, I think that's drawing people to the product a little bit more. Uh, I, I like to think that maybe high school football is bigger in this town than uh, than college football or any other kind of football because of the you know powerhouse programs that are here. But it, it's coming along. I think they need more uh, big names. They need they need players that will draw them to games. Memphis people because you go to these games, uh, these express games, and you look at the Liberty Bowl, and it's it's not it's not as impressive as maybe you know you'd expect uh, for for town that doesn't have a pro football team but i think i think if the aaf sticks around for a couple of years and memphis keeps a team for a few years i think the interest will go up demarcus gates is playing well oh he's fantastic ben he's he's so good man i 
I mean, we all know about DeMarcus Gates' deal at Ole Miss. The coaches always talked about him not playing within the confines of the defense, but he was always a playmaker. So it, it always seemed like, at least from a fan or a, or an outside perspective, it's like, just let him do his thing. Um, and obviously, you know, some differences there, but coach Singletary just kind of lets him do his own thing while sort of reeling him in and telling him, all right, this is how you have to stay within this defense. And, um, he's been killer, man. He's one of the best. Uh, I think he was leading the AAF for tackles at one point. I mean, I think he was just the defensive player of the week this week had like 14 tackles or something. And he's, he's going to be playing in the NFL. That's what I was going to say. feels like he's going to get a cup of coffee. Absolutely, man. I don't see why not. I mean, I, I really don't, um, say what you want about Mike Singletary. I know a lot of people talk about his coaching, uh, ability, but if you look at his linebacking core, even here in the Alliance, they're really good. All of them. And DeMarcus Gates is a leader of that. And Singletary has been, you know, has, has complimented this guy every time I've asked about him. He's been like, this guy doesn't even know how special he can be. I mean, he's that good of a player. Um, I'm excited. I tweeted this the other day. I'm really excited to watch him in the NFL. Cause he's got it, man. He's, he's fast. He, he's great pass rusher. He's gotten bigger. He just, He's gotten bigger, and he knows how to find the football. That's the biggest thing about DeMarcus. He goes to the football. Um, I think it's going to be exciting, and I'm sure you'd like to see him with you, with your squad. Uh, the yeah, Cowboys man. are okay with linebackers. Yeah? Yeah. I'd, I'd take them on the Giants. Man. Yeah, the I was Giants, you say, like, you're Giants. Yeah. The Giants are a mess. Yeah. They're a mess. I don't how, like how hard did it hit you when they traded OBJ? <laughs> uh, you must have not seen my tweets. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know. Man, it you was see tough. all my tweets. I mean, uh, how weird is that to say to another fellow person? I mean, you barely don't look at my Twitter. I, I, do, I look at your tweets all the time. That's ben. A I favorite everything you put out. That's not true. <laughs> no, man. I um, now if no, I was I an attractive that. single woman, you like everything for attractive single women. On, That's on Twitter, not true. Instagram. Stop, Benjamin. Stop. I'm sorry. Come that on. was a low blow. Come on. That's man. what she said. Go. Okay. Um, no, you know, the Giants are, it's a mess, man. The, the general manager is awful. He just has no idea what he's doing. Dave Gettleman, he, he pretty much screwed over the Panthers. Uh, um, now he's doing the same with the Giants. We all love Eli Manning, right? Let me just go ahead and say this before I, before I say what I need to say. Oh, you Everybody, know how I feel about Eli. Yes, we all love Eli Manning, right? If you're No, 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 I don't. You don't. No, as a person, I think he's fantastic. He's been okay. uh, on a podcast with me before. I've done stories with him. I'll never forget he was the first major interview I did on this beat as I was doing a story on Jevin Sneed in 2008. He called me back on my cell phone, and I was like, oh, my God, Eli Manning. Because you got to remember, I mean, I grew up Ole Miss. This was yep. when I, I grew up going to games. This is, I can't run away from that. That is my past. I'm not ashamed of it. I grew up going to games. And Eli Manning, for my generation, I'm 33 years old, was it. He was the guy. And I'll never forget, back in those days, we're doing story time with Ben now, I'm sorry, but back in those days, Meet the Rebels used to be on the field itself. And you would go out there, and the players would be scattered about, and it was a just a full-on rush to run and talk to the players. And Eli was a freshman, and he redshirted as a freshman. And my dad, being the old Miss historian that he is, who to this day will defend Archie Manning against anyone who says anybody was ever better than Archie, um, told me and my brothers, as we're running and trying to talk to the players, go talk to him and get something signed by him. And back then, you're young, you're a kid, you don't really know, you just want to get every guy on the ball. But forgive me if Camone Fisher doesn't have the same significance as far as his <laughs> autograph as Eli Manning. 
And so oh, we got man. in the big line, and it, it was crazy because you see all these great players. I mean, there's Roe, there's, I think, Deuce. I'm not positive on that. But you see all these great Ole Miss players, and yet the biggest crowd from jump was Eli. And he was a big thing every second of every day he was at Ole Miss and continues to be a big thing. And Eli's the one that took teams that should be winning, what, four games, five games, and one or t- we can't say one because they didn't, but tied for an SEC West championship, went to the Cotton Bowl, all these great accomplishments. But here's the problem, and this is what I can't get Mississippi State fans to understand. Once that player leaves your school and he goes to the NFL, he's no longer Eli Manning, Ole Miss Rebel. So my affinity and love for Eli Manning, my favorite player of all time in Ole Miss history, is different being a Cowboys fan my entire life. The Cowboys are my team of teams. You know that better than anybody. I do. He's a giant. So I hate Eli Manning as a football <laughs> player now. I hate him. Yeah. He's the one that, that kicked out the Cowboys out of the playoffs. And when they went on their miraculous run, went on the road sure to win a Super Bowl. Sure did, Ben. Sure did. Yeah. That you know Cowboys team, great, that Cowboys team was the number one seed. That, Eli knocked him out. I hate Eli Manning as a football player. I get that all the time. Oh, Ben, you like Eli? No. As a person, I love him. He's a phenomenal person. Manning Passion Academy. Still to this day, I walk up and go, hey, Ben. I'm like, oh, God, Eli, you remember my name. You've talked to me like four times. But he remembers. He's a very cerebral, nice, good dude. And I love his family. Cooper's been on this podcast countless times. Archie's been on this podcast. Great family. Great people. Football player. I have to hate him. He's a giant. Have to. Same thing. All right, Eli, when I started watching Ole Miss football, he was the quarterback. I was like five, six, looked up to him. Big reason why I'm a Giants fan is because of Eli, right? We all, we all love him, right? But the Giants decide that uh, they're going to bring Eli back and give him this huge contract and all this money, but let go of their top offensive weapon, one of the best in the league for Jabril Peppers, and, and, and just one first round pick and like a second round pick and a bunch of futures, man. And it's like, it's like giving a misguided person money or something, you know, somebody who's not going to spend it on the right things. That's what Dave Gettleman is. So that's how I feel about trading Odell Beckham Jr. Well, it'd be different if you were fully embracing the tank and the rebuild, but you go out and spend stupid money on Golden Tate. Exactly. Go, and then the, exactly. The I don't know what the plan Golden is. Tate. Golden yeah. Tate was like shocked that he got that contract. He redid a scene from Jerry Maguire, man. You, yeah. you think a guy that ex, like expects that kind of money would do something like that? He would have just been like, yeah, that's my money. Yeah, he I mean, he the Eagles, created the show me the money scene, man. The Eagles Come gave on. up a third for a player who rose no higher than third on their depth chart and were more than fine letting him walk away. Oh, dude, the, the Giants are a mess. They're yeah. a mess. All they needed to do was rebuild the offensive line, draft a quarterback, and then start drafting some pieces on the defense. That's all they, they needed should, to they do, huh? That's all they needed to do. Should have re-signed Landon Collins. So you got Jabril Peppers. I mean, Landon Collins was the heart. He was the leader of that defense. Yeah, but I'm not big on paying really, really dumb money and a lot of committed money to back in safety, especially in the box safeties. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I get they it. age well. I get it. But what I'm saying is, I, I just, just you don't trade Odell Beckham Juniors, man. That's the you problem. Don't. You just don't, man. I don't know I, any franchise worth their salt that thinks that trading really awesome, transcendent players is a good idea to try to win games. That I agree. And sense. everyone's like, well, he's a receiver, man. Come on. It's, it's not like he's a quarterback. I mean, 
And I'm just like, but it's Odell Beckham Jr. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? What world are we living in where we're trading a guy like Odell Beckham Jr.? Like, he's not the – whatever. Yeah, we're, we're rebuilding. We're going to trade this guy. Uh, like, really? But you're going to bring back Eli Manning, who's – like I've said for years, the Giants totally ruined the last five years of Eli's career. Yeah, Let yeah. me just go ahead and say that yeah. too. They just refused to rebuild the offensive line. Jerry Reese was an awful general manager in that regard. They tried to get rid of Eli early on, and there was no reason to do so. But at this point, he's taken so many hits. He's so razzled. As soon as pressure gets in his face, I mean, he pretty much goes down. He's not the same guy. I went to New York, and I watched him play in person. I needed to know, Ben. I had to get the facts, all right? And it's, he's not the same Eli, man. It's, it's sad to see. I got in this huge argument with this, like, Ole Miss, uber Ole Miss fan last year. And he just was like, I can't believe you. You trade all these things. And I'm like, screw you, dude. I'm a, you're not even a Giants fan. I've been a Giants fan for years. I, I've stuck in with the losses, the wins, everything. Kurt Warner, all that crap, man. And uh, I've seen it all. And this isn't the same Eli. And But you're going to pay him and keep him around, but then let go of Odell. It made no sense. It made no sense. But Look, that's I fine. Have to, I have to defend my Cowboys fandom every day. People roll their eyes immediately when you say you're a Cowboys fan. And then you have to explain to those people. Yeah. They haven't been to the NFC Championship game in 20 years. <laughs> I've effectively, when, when I'm old enough to care and really appreciate success, they haven't won anything of significance since I was in fourth grade. I'm now married with two children. My oldest is almost going to be seven. I mean, come <sighs> on. And, but I will say, you got Evan Ingram. He can't stay healthy. But Evan, all-around no. good dude. It's encouraging. Yeah, I do love Evan. I do love having him. Hopefully he can stay healthy because um, we're going to need him. Um, you know, Sterling Shepard, whatever, man. It's what I don't want to talk about the Giants. DeMarcus Gates, the thing with DeMarcus, yes. college coaches don't like freelancers. I know. So it hampered DeMarcus Gates as far as how we remember him. When you look yep. at the greatest players in Ole Miss history defensively, you don't think DeMarcus Gates, and understandably so, but the numbers are there. Yep. And if you think about his value as far as the Sugar Bowl team, the biggest turnaround in Ole Miss history and that long string of success, DeMarcus Gates is every bit as important as Laquan Treadwell. Yeah, I mean, led the team in tackles for all three years that all he three played, years. right? And, mm -hmm. and they pulled him out of games. That's another thing. They don't like freelancers. They don't yeah. like freelancers. College coaches don't like freelancers. And I get it. I get it. I do to a point. But I think in the end, talent wins out. I agree. I'll take the freelancer if he's getting 13 tackles a game. Absolutely. I mean, I, he was what he, he broke like Patrick Willis's record or like tied him, didn't he? Like for the, he had the most tackles since since P. Willie or something. Like he, there was a ridiculous stat when you you got like stats comparable to Patrick Willis. You're a good player. I mean, I'm not saying he is Patrick Willis, not even close. But I'm saying that's pretty impressive. You're a pretty good Ole Miss historian. Think about this. Yeah. If I asked you, name the top five linebackers in Ole Miss history, DeMarcus Gates probably isn't in that conversation, but with the numbers say he should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And DeMarcus loves Ole Miss, by the way. Really? Still yeah, does. Yeah, he loves Ole Miss. Still did does. Did you tell man. him uh, you covered him at Ole Miss? Yeah, I did. I, you know, I introduced myself to him. I think he remembered. I think String, when he was still around, remembered me a little bit more because we hung out a few times. But DeMarcus seemed to kind of be like, yeah, I think I remember you. But, um, yeah, well, I, I asked him about, you know, just um, – I forgot what I asked him about, man. I think it was something about the NCAA vacating wins. And he, he took it personally, man. He was like, the video's out. The, the, the games were won. Like, you can't take that out. I think the video's out was the best part of that quote. 
He's like, you just can't, you can't take that away from us. And he said us, and you could be, he was like, you were like, man, you know, he's, he's still a rebel. I agree with that. I think vacating wins is the dumbest thing and the dumbest punishment the NCAA ever comes up with. I just, I just don't accept it. Like people got all, no one accepts it. No one accepts it. But you know, people are like, what? And I'm like, just, it's your mind. Like, you don't have to be like, oh, well, we, we won that, but it's vacated. Like, no, say you won it. Like Memphis went to the final four. They went to the national championship game. They had to take that. The Sugar Bowl wasn't vacated. The Sugar Bowl wasn't vacated, but the wins, like the Alabama 2014 game, I think was vacated. No, right. I remember that game. I remember no, I the. Forget. I remember it. I remember I Katy Perry and game day and the field goal post coming down. You and I were standing in the corner of the end zone together. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I tell Memphis fans this all the time. They're like, well, the Derrick Rose thing, they took our banners. I'm like, dude, put them up. Like, put them back up. What are they going to do to you if you put your banners back up? They can't you know? make you take what are a they banner do to down. Ole Miss, Ole Miss just in its record books just says. We won and just has no asterisk for vacated wins. They can't do anything. Like, just do it. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Give you a bowl ban for not acknowledging the vacated wins? This is right. Right. Dude, this is why North Carolina's approach was perfect. They were just like, go away. We didn't do anything wrong. It's more. It's more complicated than that. I know. But what I'm saying is like, that's that's just just don't it. Don't just don't admit to it. Like, no, it's no. you're required to comply to a point. But I agree with you. Yeah. When you voluntarily are a member of the NCAA and acknowledge them as the enforcement staff, which every major Division One program does, you have to comply to a point. But I agree with you. Like voluntarily handing over things, that's when it becomes an issue. Yeah, I'm all about – If they about say, okay, we got something like this. Okay, cool. Prove it. I'm all about crumbling corrupt institutions. And so – yeah, I would shredding evidence is that what you? <laughs> <laughs> not, not that. But um, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think Ole Miss is kind of its own its own worst enemy. I mean, good lord, if you're sending a text to a handler via a school issued phone, that's your own stupidity. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. Well, let's you know, let's move on from this. I'm sure our our, our your listeners. Sorry, I say our. Um, don't oh, they are our. They will forever be in your heart. Oh, I love it, man. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to play a quick game here because you're around the AAF. Let's play Correct. a game in the vein of F, Mary kill, but let's call it higher fire, send to the AAF, and we're going to do it with <laughs> Ole Miss coaches. Okay, you ready? <laughs> let's do it. Hugh Freeze, Houston yes. Nutt. Yes. Ed Ordron. What was it? Higher fire, send to the AAF? Yeah. All right, higher. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. God, I don't really like any of these guys. Nope. <laughs> All right, you know what? I'm this sending is, Hugh Freeze to the AAF. I think yes, it's perfect okay, there. Per, I agree. I agree. You're sending Freeze to the AAF. This is going to be controversial. I want the Ed Orgeron of now, not the Ed Orgeron from 2007. I want today's Ed Orgeron, and I want to send – I want to – what is it? Fire Houston Nut? Yes. I'll fire Houston Nut every single time. Yeah, I think I would too. I, I will not take two nine and four seasons followed by mediocrity ever. You could do this with players, too. So hire, fire, send to the AAF. Bo Wallace, Chad Kelly, Romero Miller. Oh, hiring Chad Kelly right away. Um, Bo in the AAF, and has nothing to do with Roe, because Roe is woefully underappreciated for his accomplishments at Ole Miss. I just think yes. Bo would be hilarious in the AAF. I think it would work. Bo would be great in the AAF. If his now. shoulder works. Okay, but Bo's shoulder, <laughs> Bo's sh- Bo shoulder is a problem. So sh- Bo might be the one you have to fire instead. Bo's Bo. shoulder, uh, Bo's shoulder has to be healthy, and Bo has to be willing to watch film. I think that's um, yeah, that's the biggest thing. Is is this guy needs to watch film? 
I love that. What was it like his senior season? He came out and was like, yeah, I didn't really watch film, but I'm watching film now and it's made me better. It's like, what? Really? You never watched film, Bo? Meanwhile, you had Chad going so far on the other end of it, basically carrying his tablet to team lunches and stuff, I guess, to show yeah. everyone, hey, look, I'm studying film. Are you studying film? It's like, Chad, is it? cool it. It's okay. <laughs> Come on. You we nerd. get it, man. We, we get, get it. it, Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I love Romero Miller, but that was kind of, that was just around when I was starting to watch Ole Miss. So, you know, I, I watch all my Romero Miller um, knowledge comes from old videos. Chad Kelly, Eli Manning. Archie Manning. Okay. Uh, you hire Archie Manning. You send Chad Kelly to the AAF. <laughs> and you fire Elisha Nelson Manning. Uh, it hurts me to say, but it, I'm speaking in terms of like at their peaks. Mm. Mm-mm. You're going to say hire Eli and send Chad to the AAF? Oh, man. I don't know what I'd do. Oh, God. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I don't know why I answered that one because like I, I, normally I'd be like, I can't. My heart's torn three different ways gosh that's tough all right here you that go. is a tough higher fire sent to the aaf david cutcliffe billy brewer hugh freeze we're sending <laughs> hugh freeze to aaf every time <laughs> hugh freeze is going to the aaf every, every single time. time they yeah. need hugh freeze as much as um i you know don't really care for the guy uh, they need him they need they need a guy like Hugh freeze in the aaf i would hire uh, david cutcliffe every time oh uh, man it depends on my roster though God rest his soul, man. Billy Brewer. I'd hire Billy, Billy Brewer. Brewer. Yeah. Um, Billy would play the game. Billy would nice. play the game and wouldn't even think twice. Nope. Nope. I respected him a lot, though, dude. He uh, he used to help us out a lot in student media. Anytime we needed to interview him, he was, come on over. And we'd talk to him. He was great. Billy, Billy loved to talk to people talk. and to know your name and to shake your hand. Billy Brewer was, he was his own man now. I mean, that, that dude was a nut. But yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, you know what? I, I look at some of the older pictures of him on the sidelines, and the guy had some swag, man. The the red short shorts, the uh, the 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 white socks pulled up to the shins with the with the white Nikes or whatever they were wearing back then, and the uh, and the polo and the what was it? I don't even know what kind of hat it was, but dude, it was it was swag, man. Yeah, Billy had his own style, he both did. in how he talked, how he walked, and what he wore. Yeah, last one. Here we go. Okay. Fire hire, sent to the AAF. Eddie Strong, Patrick Willis. Hiring Patrick Willis, but whatever. Eddie Strong, Patrick Willis, DeMarcus Gates. Um, We're going to hire Patrick Willis. We're going to send DeMarcus Gates to the AAF, and we're going to fire Eddie Strong. Which sounds blasphemous. I know, man. I know. But the, the, these are your scenarios, Ben. Your your twisted mind came up with these, all right? It's Don't a fun game, though. It's and a fun game. Put it on me, man. And Ole Miss people, don't get upset at me. Ben Garrett came up with these. All right, here you go. One these. more, one more, one more. This one's going to be tough. This is going to pain you, okay? Okay. Laquan Treadwell. Okay. A.J. Brown. Okay. Dante Moncrief. Okay, uh, you're going to fire Laquan Treadwell. Whoa! You're going to hire Dante Moncrief. And Whoa. you're going to send A.J. Brown. Yeah, yeah. Whoa! Laquan Treadwell, he can't run routes, man. Shout out to Grant Hurd. I'm putting it out there. Whoa! This is an explosive episode. <laughs> I'm kind of floored. I really I, am. You, I know. I know. Quan is. Uh, he was awesome. He's the best receiver to come through Ole Miss. No, he's not. AJ Brown is. You say AJ is? Yeah. I'm hiring AJ <laughs> every time. I love AJ, man. I love AJ a lot. I, I mean, you know, I only get. But uh, see, I was a student when Quan was around, and Quan was my age. Came in with me, so. Um, 
Woo. I mean, you were quick with it too. A little too I, quick. I mean, just, this is, I guess this is based on just like how Quan's NFL careers panned out. Once again, not his fault. The guy just did not really know how to run routes when he got to the league. Hopefully that'll work out. I'm, I'm really praying for him. Why Dante? Why did you hire Dante over AJ Brown, the greatest wide receiver in Ole Miss history and the second greatest wide receiver in being Laquan? Why Dante? I don't know, man. I think Dante is a little underappreciated because of what followed him. Um, but Dante, man, he was key in leading that that um, comeback or that resurgence of the program. And you know what's funny is like Dante was kind of like the third best receiver or whatever that came. Remember, it was a Tobias Singleton. I think it was Pat Patterson in that class. Nick or Brazzle was in that class. Nick Brazzle was in that class. And so Dante was just like a kind of one of those random names. Everyone's like, hey, watch out for him. He could be good. And he ended up being the best one. I always appreciated that about him. He's still in the league. He dealt so. with a lot off the field, too. The NCAA continually tried to get him off the field. Yes. The racist did. assumption that oh, his brother yeah. couldn't afford a car that he had, uh, all of this nonsense that Dante had Ridiculous. to deal with, and yet he continued to perform every single every single Saturday. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was man. not on the bus until, I think, the Friday before they went to play at Alabama. He was ineligible Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday, he got on the bus and he went to Alabama. Yeah, dude. Uh, I just, I think people know this, but I, yeah, I don't care for the NCAA and well, that kind no of stuff. Well, no one does. No one that does. That kind of stuff is why. Yeah, yeah. But hey, they give free Wi-Fi to all their players. I don't know if you've heard about this, but. um, <laughs> <laughs> I love how they get their butt hurt so quickly, too. <laughs> Everyone has some fun with it on social media. That's a tweet from two years ago. Yeah. And the NCAA being the glorified RA of college sports that it is comes into the dorm and says, you guys stop making fun of me or I'm going to write you up. You think that was Andy Katz that tweeted that? Cause he no. works for them. No, you don't think he runs their social. Everybody was like, come on, Andy. And they were just attacking <laughs> him. <laughs> like, come on, Andy, get it. It's okay, man. It's a joke. And I was like, I wonder if Andy Katz even tweeted that. Hire fire sins of the AAF. Ben Garrett, Yancey Porter, Chuck Ronsville. I would fire Ben Garrett. Oh, of course. Immediate. Oh my goodness. I, that would be the best day of my life. Yeah. Um, hire Chuck Ronsonville, send Yancey Porter <laughs> to the AAF. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I like this game. Yancey would thrive in the AAF, man. He would, he'd be the best reporter down there. Complete freedom. It'd be, it'd be fantastic. And the reason I would fire you, Ben, is because you are a creative person, my guy. You need to be, you need to be making movies or in plays Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, you fired me. I'm a disaster. No. That's why I would fire you from um, from the reporting stuff because you, you, you're a universal man, dude. You got it's, talents. It's more fun when you fire me just out of spite. No, nah, man, not out of spite. Not out of spite. That's disappointing. <laughs> I'd fire you every time just out of spite. That would be great, man, because yeah. I'm always looking for new opportunities. So, you Do know. you want to do one more or are we done with this game? One more. Let's do one more. Pick a position. A position. Hmm. Offensive line. Ooh. Yeah. Glad you said Michael Orr. Okay. okay. Higher fire send to the AF. Michael Orr, Laramie Tunsil, Greg Little. Okay. Higher Laramie Tunsil. All day. All day. So that's a no brainer. Um, fire Michael Orr. Oh. Woo. Send Greg Little to the AAF. Ooh. Woo. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's what I would do. I'm doing this one out of love for my good buddy. I'm the godfather of his son. Hire, fire, send to the AF. Greg Hardy, Kentrell Lockett, my good buddy, my friend. 
I love him to death. And let's think of another defensive end. Oh, because he's a friend of the program. Otherwise, I'd do someone else probably because he ended up as a linebacker. C.J. Johnson. Um, if everyone is healthy, I hire C.J. Johnson. I'm firing That's, Greg Hardy because he's a disaster of a human yeah, being. Yeah, Greg Hardy is just an awful person. So, uh, yeah, I'm firing him, and I'm sending 40 to the AAF in hopes that he gets called up to the NFL. Now, these are all healthy, healthy yes. guys. Yes. And they're because I mean, CJ would have been an NFL guy, right? Like, yes, he and 40 both would have had shots in the NFL. Uh, 40, I think, was a third, fourth round projection when he decided to come back for his last year and got hurt. Yeah, he was quick. He was trying to make his way to the top two rounds. Yeah. And what are they trying to like put him at stand up linebacker or the, yeah. the like a rusher? Like, yeah, but his knee slowed him down. Yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. that, man. Got to do tough. one more and then we're going to stop this and be done here. Okay. One yeah. more. Here we go. All right. Higher fire, center of the AF. Jarrell Poe. Parade Jerry, Robert Kimdichie. Okay, this is a good one. Um, I would hire. Goodness. Okay, <laughs> this, this one is. You tough. better watch yourself. I've got some personal stake in this one. This one is tough. Okay, I'm hiring Parade Jerry all day, every day, and I love Poe to death. But I'm sending Poe to the AF, and I'm firing Rob. Okay. Okay. All healthy, right? I'm yeah. firing Rob because Rob needs to do anything but football. He needs to play saxophone um, in Clarksdale. Yes, he he really does. I, for Rob's life and just happiness. This I isn't just to, about talent because if you're going no. just strictly on talent, it's Rob all day. It's Rob, of course. No, I want. Yeah, Rob needs to do something else outside of football. Now, Jarrell Poe will kill me if he hears me say this because <laughs> Poe will tell you he's better than everyone that ever played, as he justifiably should because he was great. Yeah, he's great. Poe send to the AAF higher Parager. I agree. Parager he would have stayed healthy. I think he would have been good in the NFL too. So yeah. He was on his last leg. He got every ounce of his production out in college. He did. I'm glad he got, you know, a first-round contract because – Yeah, well, he's had some rough stuff off the field lately. He won that game against Mississippi State. Almost his entire defensive line. But, like, Parade Jerry was just abusing Mississippi State in the egg ball. In 08? Yeah. Yeah, that was a – man, that was a fun was one. disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it was disgusting. That was a fun it's one. It's hard for any Ole Miss person to feel any type of sympathy for Mississippi State players, and yet – Everyone in that press box, every time, God, who was their quarterback? That skinny little dude. I can't remember his name. Trot. Was it Trot or something? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it wasn't Tyson Lee. I think it was uh, Wes Ray or something. I can't remember. Wes Ray, Tyson Lee, whatever, man. I don't know. They all sound like chicken tender brands. Um, <laughs> the only one that, 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 that I hated was Chris Ralph because why was he so good? He you wasn't. Know? Only against Ole Miss. Tyrone Nix, man. Back at Ole Miss? Linebacker's coach. Yeah, oh wait, I need to be careful. Never mind. I like Ty. I like Ty. I think he's uh, perfectly suited for the linebacker position. The linebacker job, absolutely. Now for that defensive team, it, it, we we joke, but Ty schemed a hell of a defense in 2008 with all that talent. I mean, it was insane. They were yeah. everywhere, smothering defense. But he also had amazing talent. Cassius Vaughn, Kendrick Lewis, uh, Paray Jerry. Yeah, he developed uh, that talent. Kendrick Lewis was converted wide receiver. Cassius yeah. Vaughn was a three-star Barche prospect. Marshawn Green was a converted wide receiver. He, he was. was a, yep. mm-hmm. Dude, think about those teams, Ben. I know. Man, yep. Houston Nutt had it made, man. He had it made. <laughs> the worst hire. God, he's a disaster. But yeah, oh. yeah. Ole Miss blaming you for stuff you did or stuff that happened under your watch. Yeah, that's keeping you from getting hired. Not uh, the film of those terrible teams at Ole Miss. No, no, that's what's getting you, not getting you hired. It wasn't just on the on-field product either. The guy just did not run it. Did not know how to run his program. James no. Shebus, good God, awful. <laughs> That's a Memphis guy. Is he? Yeah, he went to went join the Memphis staff after Ole Miss. Who was the strength and conditioning coach that year? Oh my God, 
Oh, oh, it was uh, God, he he hated me. We headed out. Yeah, he was awful. I hope you know. He ended up at New Mexico State. Oh God, yeah, he was god awful, man. Well, I looked that up because it's going to frustrate me. By the way, I looked at Johnny Manziel in 2012, 13, 30 to 27 win over Ole Miss in Oxford. 191 yards passing, a touchdown, two picks. Not that great. 129 rushing yards and a touchdown. That's what he did, man. He scrambled his way to a win. And then the second year, I think it was like Josh Lambeau who kicked the field goal. But the first year, because remember they had the two two games in Oxford back-to-back. Ole Miss led 20-17 going into the fourth. He scored 13 points in the fourth quarter. And, you know, in, oh, was it 2012 or was it 13 that his first time? I think it was 12, right? I think so. Yeah, that was that was the game Hugh Freeze lost because he gave a halfback uh, shotgun handoff to Itavius Mathers instead of, you know, they had Mikael Miller who could have just bulldozed his way on fourth and inches. His third and 10, 16-yard pass to Mike Evans with, like, early in the, yeah. Don Decker is his name, by no, the way. No, I'm sorry. That, that was way too early. That was 0-0. Zero, zero. Here we go. Yeah, Don Decker. Oh, God. But here, let's see. Disaster. I want to see the final drive that they won. How did they, how did they score? Okay. Let's see. Ole Miss was up 23 to 20. I mean, 27 There was a turnover on downs. It was a turnover. I will never forget that game. That was the day I was like, Hugh Freeze is 90 right. plays. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Don Decker. Did I ever tell you my Don Decker story? No. Okay, so... Do we have time? Yeah. Who cares? It's my podcast. I can do what I want. So, um, <laughs> Don Decker, strength yeah. and conditioning coach. He was a Houston nut loyalist. Of course. You know how it is in the offseason. You're just pulling for anything you can come up with content-wise. There's just nothing there in college. There's nothing. Right. You just got to right. create content. And one of the biggest and easiest stories you can do is the strength and conditioning update. Guys are getting bigger, faster, stronger. But I don't like doing bigger, faster, stronger stories. I think they're completely pointless. I die a little inside whenever I write that. So <laughs> I just want to talk to Don about, okay, true gains that so-and-so has done. I mean, he weighed this much. Where is he at? What was he running? Was he? All right. So I'm working for not just the Ole Miss Spirit, but the now defunct Oxford Enterprise newspaper. And, what is uh, that? Yeah, it didn't last long. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no fault of the sports section. We were good. But yeah. that's just me being an asshole. Anyway, so I'm going to do the Don Decker story. And I didn't know Don. Chuck did. Shocker. So <laughs> I said, Chuck, holler at Don. Because you couldn't just do a simple media request for Don Decker. You couldn't go through sports information and talk to Don. Because Don's just going to say to Kyle Campbell or whoever, oh, no, not doing that. So I asked Chuck to talk to him. He said, sure. Chuck calls me back. He says, all right, Don will talk to you, but he only wants to talk about his assistant strength and conditioning coaches. He was trying to dictate the story. Yeah. He wanted me to write about his assistant strength and conditioning coaches, how great they were, I guess. And I'm like, okay, I'll do, I'll ask him about that amongst other things. So Don agrees to it. Call him, we interview. I asked him about his stupid assistant strength. And not they, they're not stupid. They're good people. I'm sure I didn't really know them, but I'm calling you stupid in the context of this story because Don Decker made me hate you. So, <laughs> so he, he gives me all these answers and the, the stuff I asked him, he gave me like maybe two and a half, three minutes, but I'm like, okay, that's enough. I can figure it out. The other stuff, he wouldn't shut up. So I wrote my story. I was going to write another story for just the spirit about, you know, just to, okay, he helped me out. I write about his assistant strength and conditioning coaches. He calls me up and rips into me 
And I'm a patient person. I'm not. No, you're not. Okay, good. I'll be <laughs> like, no, you're not. <laughs> and I sat there and I listened and I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I'm a younger guy. And when he gets done, he says, so what do you have to say for yourself? I went, nothing. He went, what? I went, are you done, man? This is the most disrespectful thing. I went, I went, Don, I'm not like a little child. <laughs> I'm not like the Don Decker. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, I'm not, I'm not here to help you, man. I was writing a story. Well, I'm never talking to you again. I went, oh, well, okay. That's cool. Dude, you're the strength and conditioning coach. Right. Oh, you're not even impressive. Like, he's not even Paul Jackson. Like, Paul Jackson is a personality. Yeah. Like, I But I didn't say what him. I was going to say, which is, you're Don Decker. Right. But I didn't say that because I wasn't an asshole at that point. You know what I also love is that, like, this is, I think, just, just kind of like. Is but a, imagine like, the hubris of that person. Trying yeah. to di- like Don Decker, strength and conditioning coach at Ole Miss, who ended up after Houston up was justifiably fired at New Mexico State for the Lobos or whatever. Now he's completely out of football. Trying to dictate to me what to write about, like it's just insane. What I love though is like this is like a, a, a kind of a indicative on you and Chuck's relationship that you can get away with stuff like that. I don't think anybody, if other people that work for Chuck were to yell at Don Decker, I don't think that would work, man. Oh, you know, Chuck almost fired me once. Oh, I know. I know. I'm sure more than once. No, just really, really just once. Yeah. What was it? Tell that story. After Ole Miss got the crap beat out of it at Tennessee to a bad Tennessee team coached by Derek Dooley. Yeah. I ripped Houston nut to shreds. Yeah. In a column. Yeah. Chuck read it before I posted it. And we had it out in the, in the tunnel. He was like, you can't in like, you, you need to soften this part up. And I, I now that sounds like Chuck was like protecting. He just, it, it wasn't, I went in now. Yeah, I, yeah. It, it was a little overly hard. You, I've had to teach this with like guys that came after me, like Sudo, who <laughs> went after <laughs> a number of different people. Like you can have that opinion that's fine, but you lose a little bit of the weight of that opinion. If you get overly emotional about it. Right. So I was still writing hyperbolically, and including words like terrible and awful and blah, blah. let the numbers speak for themselves. Right. And me and Chuck yeah. got it up. And um, he effectively said that we're, we're going to need to talk on Monday. Now, he called me on Sunday. I was like, we're fine. But he was going to fire me. I'm, I'm fully convinced. Because <laughs> well, he said that some time, um, you know, I went after Hugh Freeze in a press conference because yeah. the guy couldn't call plays, you know, in big situations. Right. And, um, yeah, I think my tone reflected that I was not happy with you his play calling. Because you and I agreed. We, we agreed. We yeah. had the same we opinion. Agreed. We agreed. You just came up opinion. to me afterwards and said, hey, man, look, Chuck, Chuck wants you to tone it down a little bit. And, yeah. and I was like, I don't care, Ben. I'm not, I'm not even going to be here that much longer. And Ben was like, really, man? Really? You're going to say that to me of all people? I've given you this opportunity. You, you could be doing like some crap student media right now. And I was like, I felt bad after that. So I was like, okay. And, and, and now to, def- to defend Chuck. I, it, I put that on Chuck because <laughs> I knew you're gonna. It was Ow. me. It was me telling you like I've been in your shoes, you know. But you're not gonna listen if Ben says, "Hey, Tony." If I say Chuck said it, oh, you'd listen. But that's true. I did listen because I, you know, I respect Chuck obviously. Any any sign my checks, Ben. You so. just you just made my point. Had yeah. my, my plan work? Had it just been me, you'd have told me to piss off. No, I wouldn't have told you to piss off. I just would have definitely given you a little attitude and then yeah. probably listened to you. And you gave me attitude anyway. Regardless, that's what I liked about you. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Sudo Upadea sitting in the guest co-host chair at Sudo Upadea on Twitter. The podcast brought to you by Cheney's Pharmacy.
For all your pharmaceutical needs, Cheney's Pharmacy is the place to go. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally-owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. At Cheney's Pharmacy, you get the best customer service out there. So give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online, chaneyspharmacy.com. Chaney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Before we get out of here, um, Memphis, Ole Miss. Yes. You can almost expect in its season opener. Man, I'll tell you what. Memphis is um, not the same Memphis it was a year ago. And I think last year's Memphis team, had it had a, uh, if they had a better quarterback than um, what they had, I think they could have won a lot more games and probably won their conference. Um, they're favored, I think, in every single game this season. It depends on what Ole Miss is bringing back. I mean, I don't cover Ole Miss the ins and outs like I used to, so I can't really speak for that. But Brady White is a guy that you can really frazzle if their if their pass rush is good enough to get to him early. Um, I think it, it, it can, it's a game Ole Miss can definitely win. Memphis is replacing a lot of veteran um, guys or bodies on their offensive line. They've lost Daryl Henderson, their best running back. Patrick Taylor, though, is a guy to look out for. And with Mike Norvell, there's always going to be playmakers in his offense. It's just kind of like a next man up thing. So um, that's the only thing I worry about is even if Ole Miss can maybe get to Brady White, there'll be enough playmakers to possibly win that game. Um, I think Ole Miss is off. What do you, I mean, what can you say about Ole Miss's offense? I mean, I, I know we're losing a lot of talent on that end. Ooh, we um, again. Back to we. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, that's OK. Hey. You, you got uh, that in you. You can have that. Yeah, you can have that now. Slip of the dunk. Well, I mean, what do you think? You think Coral or Corral? Hey, what is it, by the way? Let's Corral. It's Corral. Corral. Okay. You're just Corral. a fan now. It's Corral. Uh, okay, Corral. So Corral, I mean, do you think he can, he can get it done? Does that look like I mean, Coral to you? Okay, when he was being recruited, I used to call him Corral, and somebody corrected me and said well, That person Coral. is dumb. So I, I, I went with Coral, and then I did it on air one day, and then I got a response from an Ole Miss fan that was like, you can't even pronounce the name of the quarter, and so – yeah, now now trip up. But what do you think? You think what do you think about Ole Miss's offense? I don't know yet, honestly. I don't know what the offensive line is going to look like. How it'll perform in game one? They're completely lot, overhauling hauling it. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of questions on both sides because both teams lost a lot of talent. Um, Hot take: I think Ole Miss will be better defensively early than offensively. I really hope so because that. I mean, if you can be kind of hard to be as bad as last year. Oh yeah, I mean that was god awful. But well, I mean, speaking of Memphis, Ole Miss. Yeah. We hadn't told this story. Which one? How I told you, I had a feeling going into Memphis in the Liberty oh, Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> when was the first time? When did you truly come face to face with "We Are Old Miss" moments that Ross Bjork and Michael Thompson immediately dismissed? They called a losing attitude. They hadn't been here long enough, apparently. We are Ole Miss moments. Oh my goodness! I mean, when's what, the first like, time you really came face to face with it? When Ole Miss what? snatched defeat from the jaws of victory um well I, there's too many to count ben but let me tell you this the, the moment that i felt like i stopped becoming a or detached myself from Ole Miss and was like i'm only going to be a reporter because this is going to hurt me and it's going to affect the way i work because this is my work was definitely 2014 as Ole Miss is scoring laquan's crossing the end zone he breaks his ankle that man nothing was more painful than that moment because it's 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 such a like it's like a Hollywood type deal. It's like a book or something. Like it, it was written that way. That that's how it comes off. Like 
you're ranked number four in the first college football playoff ever or rankings ever. All you, you've already beaten Alabama. All you have to do is pretty much win out. You got to beat Auburn. You had that game won. He's crossing the goal line. We're all like, you know, even in the press box, everyone's like, oh my goodness, he's in. Everybody in the crowd's like, yo, he's in. And he literally not only fumbles and doesn't get the touchdown, but he also has an awful season-ending injury. I remember distinctly. The worst punishment. You, me, and Chuck were in the end zone of that game. And it's just happened. He's been injured. It's bad. We, we can all see it's bad. Um, and no one was trying to take solace in the fact that he crossed the goal line. But I think for the collective deep breath of the stadium, everyone was going, okay, well, he crossed the goal line, so he went out in that type of way. And I don't remember who the woman was, but a woman walked over and said, no, he fumbled it. And you and I looked at each other and went, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And the hush that fell over that stadium, first when he got injured, and then the compl- – like you could feel – any energy or any rebound that could have potentially happened be pulled and zapped out of every yep. single fan in that stadium the minute it was announced he fumbled. The, the season, you say that moment of that day, it was the season, the man. Season. The way they played Arkansas, the 30-3 yeah. law, I mean, you could just tell, like, they were like, what are we going to do? He's our best guy. He's our best guy on offense. What are we going to do? That was the entire just feeling for the rest of the season. And it went into the Peach Bowl. You know, like, it's just – Olmus was never the same again that season. Never again. Right. And I was never the same again. As an Olmus fan. <laughs> As an Olmus fan. Never. And I still ha- I can't lie, man. I still haven't recaptured that. That even after the Sugar Bowl and, and just being there in the moment. But even then, you know, I was working for you guys and I was I was very professional and I, I was obviously happy. But like I remember all my friends going out, you know, Bourbon Street afterwards and everyone's like, dude, we we pretty much won a BCS Bowl. Like how crazy is this? And I was like. Yeah, but I was just like, God, but it's it, it it's like this muted feeling, man. It was like the suppressed kind of excitement. You're like that Saturday like, Night Live skit, Debbie Downer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, God, I, Ole Miss, they won the Sugar Bowl. Aren't you pumped? Yeah, but Laquan broke his ankle. Two years ago, and now I'm yeah. so hurt. Like, yeah. <laughs> wah, wah. So what I happened mean, was it was 2015. Yeah, Ole Miss is the 13th team ranked in the country, 5-1, and 1-2 one, one and two in the That's SEC. Cool. So there had already been some early disappointment going into Memphis. Leading up to the week, you and I blew that coverage out, man. We covered the hell out of it. We did. Do you remember my preview? Yeah, it was great. It was great. It was awesome. It was the best one I've done. I told Sudo as a seasoned Ole Miss person around Ole Miss my entire life. I had this feeling in my stomach, Sudo. I only have gotten this feeling a handful of times, and it's never been wrong. It's completely coincidental. I mean, that's nonsense, but I felt it. I was like, oh, I just, something's not right. Something's going on here. They're going to go to Memphis and lose. And whenever I feel this feeling, I try to find somebody to make me feel better that it's not going to be that way. That, no, Ben, you're not going to have to deal with the message boards and with Ole Miss fans going crazy on social media. Like, now that's what I think about about losses. It's not, oh, God, Ole Miss lost. It's more... Oh my God, what is the reaction going to be to this? How am I going to deal with it? And I called Sudo. I think this was on a Wednesday or Thursday. It was late at night, really late at night. And I was like, man, they're going to go and lose to Memphis. And Sudo told me, Ben, this team is, Ole Miss is so much better than Memphis. And you broke it down beautifully where they matched up, why Ole Miss was better. It was going to be an ass whipping. It's not going to be close. They can't do this. 
Ole Miss does this well, blah, 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 blah. And then Ole Miss in two plays, 75 yards, 68-yard pass, Quincy out of Boyjo to Laquan Treadwell. That's a trivia question no one will be able to answer in 10 years. Seven to nothing to go up on Memphis. Come back, get a stop. Then Demario Stringfellow scores on a 23-yard touchdown from Chad on an eight. We should have known when Hugh Freeze's pass work, that, that receiver pass, things are going to go bad. But it's 14 to nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's 14 to nothing. Yeah. And then what do they do? Score 31 unanswered points. Didn't help, of course, that Robert Kimdichie, for some reason, was inexplicably put in for a short yardage run and jammed up his neck. There were other injuries as well. He was also not in the condition to be playing that day, I think. But Why is that? That's another story. Why is that, Suda? Well, Benjamin, you know, Bill Street is a lot of fun. You know, Bill Street is a great time. Is that sourced? That is, you know, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Can't name sources. We're adults now. We can talk about this stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, that was before, like, I, I mean, you know, remember after the Peach Bowl, he was like, oh, we're going to make sure our guys or there's a strict blah, blah, blah before games and all this stuff. But we know that Rob and Denzel got a little more leeway than some other guys. I'll just put it this way. We can talk about this now. We're adults. We are. When I went to Clarksdale, Rob was playing the saxophone. The hotel yes. incident had happened. I talked yes. to you before and after that was over. Right. I got really drunk that night. Yep. Um, but I went to cover this story because I wanted to break the news that Rob was gone. He wasn't going to play in the Sugar Bowl. He was going to the NFL. He was leaving. Right. It was done. And it became a national story after I wrote it. And I yep. wrote it hammered. To this day, do not know how I wrote it. But I Fantastic wrote it. story, man. Fantastic. It really, really wasn't. But thank you. Um, <laughs> so many edits the next morning. Um, so, Rob, we were part of like the quotes that you read in that national story came about there was a circle in, in which I did not partake, honest to God. But uh, there, not that I care because I don't stigmatize weed, but part, I mean, I had the recorder on talking to Rob as there was a circle and a blunt was being passed. So, I mean, Rob had fun. Rob did have fun. I believe, that, I, I believe that weed, so weed needs to be something that the NFL and college just embrace. I mean, stop filling these kids with pain pills and stuff. Just let them smoke weed. Yeah, the opioid crisis is ridiculous, and weed is a definite alternative. So and, it doesn't uh, surprise me that if what you're saying is true. I don't know. I've, I, this is the first time you've told this to um, me. Yes. Well, is this I, the know, first time you told this to me? I think – no, I think I've told you. I mean, you know, the I had a lot of friends scattered about the team in various different roles, and um, we would talk. <laughs> we, we would all get together and talk. So I heard a lot of things that I, I swore never to repeat again. Look, um, Denzel – I mean, it was reported. Denzel was naked on the top of his roof. I mean, come, yeah, on. come on. There is a uh, now I'm not going to tell this one. I don't think Ole Miss people are ready for that. Oh, I got a Bo Wallace story that I've wanted to tell in this podcast forever. But Bo's a friend of the program and I love the guy to death and I still talk to him this day. I think he's just a phenomenal guy. Yeah, but it's my. Yeah, these story. are these are stories you, you give a little more time to tell because, I mean, like people will understand in 10, 15 years like, oh, OK, these are kids in college. But right now it's still kind of fresh, I feel like. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have to we'll have to resurrect this podcast again. Yeah, because he'll be back. Sudo will be back because now I have rotating guest co-hosts and I'll have Sudo back on because Sudo right. and I can go for fifty six minutes without even thinking. Without oh even my thinking. goodness, has it been that long? Yeah, I will say this: if you want to know the Bo story or any stories we can't tell in a podcast, just if you see Sudo or myself in a bar, make sure that we've been drinking and we'll tell you stories. Absolutely. Come find me uh, anywhere downtown Memphis, local, 
silly goose. Uh, don't really go to Beale as much anymore. Maybe absinthe from every now and then. Well, well Bill, um, Bill feels a little like, okay, if you live in New Orleans, you're not going to go to Bourbon Street. You'll stay in the Grand right. District. But, or, dude, I live, like, right across the street from Beale. And when I first moved here, I used to go all the time. But then yeah, I you're got, right behind AutoZone Park. You pointed to your apartments yeah. when, we saw, when we saw each other at uh, Memphis Old Miss on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Silkies. Go to Silkies a lot if you guys want Oh, everyone goes to Silkies. That's not a local <laughs> thing. Good Lord. No, I'm just saying these are places you could find me if you're really interested in hearing some of these stories. Yeah. I mean, Where can they find your stuff, read and watch you? Well, um, Ben, I'm on a medium called the television. So if people still watch that, right. uh, it's Channel 5, um, 805 HD. If you're trying to watch me, uh, watch all my flaws um, on Comcast, um, WMC Action News 5. You can also go to the website, WMC Action News 5.com. Um, and the Twitter, the Twitter, and the Twitter, and the Instagram, Twitter, and the Facebook. Twitter, honestly, Twitter and Instagram. Sudo TV is my uh, it's my kind of professional Instagram. That's where I post all my videos and stuff. Um, Twitter is, is probably your best bet on on uh, following me if you're interested. I don't know why you would be, but if you are at Sudo Upadea, you don't even have to type in the last name. It's impossible to spell for most people. Just S U D U, and you'll find me. I will say, and I mean this sincerely. Most talented dude I ever worked with. Wow. One of my favorite people in the world. And I will say, too, also, we sat down to do this podcast, and Sudo, before I hit the record button, said, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think people can tell. Based 58 on minutes later. It's the most fun I had on a podcast in a while. I enjoyed it. It's good. I love it, man. I love it. I'm, yeah. I'm glad to be your new Stephen Godfrey, man. I texted Godfrey last night. It was like, hey, you want to be on the pod tomorrow? I hadn't heard back from him, so... Wow. We're going to have you and Godfrey. And I know Godfrey was your guy. You love Godfrey. Because love- he's somebody that know this, but like little Sudo was a flagship fanboy. I was huge yep. Ben Garrett, Stephen Godfrey uh, fan mm-hmm. growing up. And then he weaseled and I, his way into my life. I did. I thought Ben was going to hate me when I first met him because Ben, ben just kind of has a, a look to him sometimes where you're like, I'm ah, a very personably nice person for the you first are, time. You mm-hmm. are. When, when you meet, but like when you, your resting face sometimes is a little intimidating. Oh, or was true. at least not no, anymore. That's not true. That's not but when I was younger, I was like, oh, man, should I like even approach this guy? Like, God, that's dorky. <laughs> I'll never know how you have friends, but because I'm a no, I'm not going to say that. Oh, sure. Why not? Well, Benjamin, it's been fun, man. <laughs> I've got to get to my day job now. Oh, he's Sudo Upadea. You can follow him on Twitter at Sudo Upadea. Check out his stuff on Channel 5 in Memphis. Coming up in just a second, the night is dark and full of spoilers with Maester Daniel. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Let's do it again. Thank you, Benjamin. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives, securing futures. I believe you might be missing the greater point of the show, Paladin Butters. Yeah, I know. Winter is coming and there's dragons and zombies on the way. I'm pretty excited for that. 
Broadcasting from the bowels of the Red Keep, a king's road away from a fallen Winterfell and their wintry exile of Castle Black, you're listening to The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers with Maester Daniel and Ben of House Garrett, Lord of Oxford and Warden of North Mississippi, and other things that sound cool and stuff. For the night is dark and full of... Spoilers. It's, it's full of spoilers stuff. Spoilers! I keep watching that show and I'm still waiting for the darn dragons to show up and, and kick everyone's butt. This is The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers. I'm Lord Garrett of Oxford and other stuff. He's Maester Daniel. Hey, man. What's up, dude? You ready for Game of Thrones? It's getting closer. Yeah, but it's not getting here fast enough. What is the one thing you want to see in the season debut, season premiere? Arya and John getting back together for the first time. I feel like that Arya and John. Uh, I always thought that one of the best shots of the earlier seasons from season four was when she had to hide needle. Yeah, cried. And uh, that shot over the uh, the shot over the water when she's about to throw it in the lake. And so that really showed you know that their relationship's still in there, and hopefully that uh, they do that justice. In my travels for the last three weeks, I've watched a lot of Game of Thrones. Went to Columbia, Missouri, then to Nashville, then to Columbia, South Carolina. Season one of Game of Thrones was on the ride to Columbia, Missouri, and I'd forgotten about the moment when Jon gave Arya needle. And that's something that most every Game of Thrones fan, or devoted Game of Thrones fan as they'd call themselves, that's a moment they all remember. And yet I'd forgotten that Jon was the one who had it forced, that Jon was the one that gave it to her, how she hugged him. I remember the hug, but... Those gifable moments, you forget in what context they came, and that was John giving her needle. That was a really poignant moment, and it kind of brings it all back whenever they do have their meeting together. When she has needle, is able to show it to him. That's a really cool callback that they'll be able to do to finish it off. And they usually do a pretty good job of hitting those moments. I yeah, think. they're good at the big You're right. moments. So, and you know, uh, she had a um, she had an arc where she kept being brought back to her Stark and she reclaimed her Stark heritage. And that really symbolizes that because even the name of the sword, because she hated to do the needling that, uh, Septim Mordain made him do at castle, you know, at uh, Winterfell back when she was still innocent and young. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it'll be nice. And I think it'll really bring the family together at a time of crisis because that, you know, they're going to have to have, all of Daenerys and all of her court basically with her unsullied in the, you know, a castle that's been burnt out and has been ravaged by Ramsey and the ironborn and, uh, years of war. And, you know, it's just going to be tough. It's going to be tough for them to, they don't have a lot of time to do a lot of character development when they got the, um, the army coming. I did not know that's why Arya or John gave the name to Arya Sword Needle. I did not know that's where that came from. Right. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's it's that's because where... she didn't like to sew. Yes, and so it was John's going away present when he went to the wall. So well, I know that. I don't saying it's, it, but it shows it's the it's multiple levels of her connection to the Starks and how close the children were, and how much Arya is like John's mother, and that's another that's another level to it is that. Um, and they didn't get to do a whole bunch of that. The, how many people talk about how much Arya is like Lyanna? And it's in the books. It'll show how you know that kind of rough 
beauty would attract someone like Rhaegal, someone like Daenerys' brother. So I'm interested. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. kind of fascinating. Didn't know that. Um, a lot of things I want to cover in this edition of The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers. As I said, went through my whole rewatch, got my least favorite episodes, my favorite episodes, one problematic episode in particular that I'll talk about today, Beyond the Wall. We're going to fix that, the logic and plot holes, <laughs> and what it can mean going forward as far as the end game for Game of Thrones. Also got some questions from Twitter, a lot of Game of Thrones questions for Maester Daniel. I put it out there on Twitter, not for me. I said, if you got any questions for Maester Daniel, send them in, and 12 questions came in. So we'll get to those as well. But before we do either of those things, first and foremost, when I was doing my rewatch, Old Nan sitting there talking to Bran is something that's easily forgettable because you don't see Old Nan very much. Mm -mm. But she's sitting there and she's doing her needlepoint and Bran wants her to tell him a story or she offers to tell him a story. He don't want to hear any stories. And she offers to tell him a scary story. And she goes into the history with the White Walkers and the spiders and all this stuff. Of all of those things that Old Nan spoke of, prophesized potentially about. What do you think will come true? Will we see big spiders in the Army of the Dead? All of those things. you remember all the different haunts that Old Dan touched on? What do you think will come to fruition? Any of it's possible. They could add any number. That's a, that would be a way to subvert our expectations. Added, adding dead bears, dead undead animals and stuff to the Army of the Dead would be a definite visual then they spend enough money and time doing it so they should give us something like that yeah like um, i can understand Arya being scared spiders would be a little too much that's just that's that's tough it's tough yeah to but Arya would be scared of a dead come back to life bear absolutely great. or or any or you know anything that would psychologically manipulate that's one of the things when they do the first great northern ranging where the great bear the you know the old bear Jorah's dad, Grant, you know, jolly old dad. Um, they take he takes two hundred ninety nine of the Night's Watch and he rides north. And they have the battle at the fist of the first men when Samuel Toy becomes Sam the Slayer. And so, um, you know, they need to show the psychological aspect to make it scary for the you know for Arya who's been so battle hardened and John and Sansa and all those people. They have to be able to do that. And only stuff like you just said, spiders or – which I think it would look ridiculous personally. I, I don't know about you. But bears are plausible, you know, deer, and Hodor probably. I think they'll sacrifice spiders. They won't have them in there for a specific reason. This is an expensive show. The reason Very. why you haven't seen a lot of the dire wolves is because how hard it is a, to make wolves behave in such a way that they can be controlled and fit them into a narrative seamlessly, like with Nymeria or Ghost in a battle scene, whatever. Also, making them bigger with CGI costs a lot of money. They sacrifice the dire wolves for what? The dragons. And I think we'd all be okay with that trade-off. Still want to see a little bit more Ghost. We're going to see a little bit more of him. But because this show is so expensive, I don't think you're going to be seeing any huge frozen spiders, but I do expect to see a bear or something in there. I think that can be fully expected because um, I don't think that would be so much of a, of a chore. Now, it might just be a one-off when maybe Arya comes face-to-face -face with a bear. Are there any giants left? Uh, not since. In the Army killed... of the Dead, there are, but it, a lot. Yes. No. The, the, the last of them. One-one? Um, 
yeah, it was it is him. The, they had their king was called Mag the Mighty. He's this huge. He's the the biggest of the giants. That's one of my it, favorite things that Mance ever says in the show. He was ta- he and uh, John are sitting there, and John's effectively going to negotiate, but really he's going to try to take a knife and stab him or something. But they're talking, and Grins died, and is it what's his name? What the Mighty? Mag the Mighty. Mag the Mighty. He said Mag the Mighty was the last of his line, and. John goes, Grin was a farmer, and they lift their glasses and drink. That's one of the cool moments. It has nothing to do with anything, but I really like that moment. And then in the books, they make Mance Ray. There's so much of a cooler character. I thought it was and cool he, in the show. He is, and he's the guy who plays him has been in uh, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. He's perfect. He was Dumbledore's and, dad, uh, yeah, brother, and, not dad, brother. Yeah, yeah, he's been in Harry Potter, and so um, he's always been good. And they really wasted him. In the show, uh, in the books, I think he's going to be more important. Um, I think he's going to play a much more pivotal role in the Grand Order conspiracy, which we can't get into for just time purposes' sake. And most people who haven't read the books would have no clue what where we because there's this whole thing is very well, Martin Cliff notes it really Martin quick. Mix. Cliff notes it really quick. Well, that there is a he do he a Game of Thrones for dummies here. He at the very end of Dance of Dragons is pretending to be a bard. And he's got a bunch of spear wives like Ygritte disguised as his loot players. And he's in the hall at Winterfell playing for Lyman Manderley and all the Manderleys who are from White Harbor, who are still their secret Stark loyalists. And they're, they're usurping Roose Bolton and the phrase. And it's a very tentative alliance. And Roose Bolton knows he's sitting on, on shaky ground, especially since Ramsey's acting so crazy. And, uh, and Theon is finally coming to try to save um in the in the show it was Sansa but in this case it's uh, one of Sansa's friends who's been who looks like a Stark she's pretending she's Arya Stark and uh he saves her basically and so that's the starts Theon's redemption arc in the books and during this part it's the, it's the part in the crypts I told you with um that tells you about what the crypts are about it's the it's the last two Theon chapters and you see how Wyman Manderley is trying to provoke the Freys. He's killed three of the Frey brothers um, on the way back from White Harbor. And he's just baiting Roose Bolton. Roose Bolton's had a very hard time um, containing the situation. So when Theon goes outside, he sees these six snowmen. They represent the six northern families and it, the ones that are still loyal to them and it shows that basically it, it signifies the ones who are going to have to fall and they start getting knocked down and i think that's going to what's going to happen is that you'll see davos's storyline he's going to find rickon rickon's still alive he's much younger than he is in, in the in the books than he is in the show and he zigzags and when he runs he, yeah well he's he's also nine years old in the books or 10 give or take you're smarter when you're nine than when you're 14 well, and he's also got Shaggy Dog still. He still has his giant direwolf. He doesn't get his head chopped off off screen, which was another travesty they did. Move on. But uh, Davos is going to find him on a, on an island of cannibals, which we've never no we've never been to, and so that's his mission. And so the Grand Northern Conspiracy is they're going to place Rickon as the Warden of the North because in the show, I mean, they don't do as much of it in the show as they do in the books, but. Primogeniture when it comes to male, the male line is very important. So that's what Rickon's importance is. 
Okay. So that's basically what the it, it but shows. What does Mance gonna, have to do with that? He Mance have any alliance gonna, to anybody. He, been the he is going when he is going to assassin help assassinate Bruce Bolton and clear Winterfell so Jon Snow because Jon Snow dies in his very last chapter in the books and place Jon Snow on the on the throne that he's going to help because he you know John him and Jon Snow get really really close in the books and just like they do in the show and uh, Melisandre kills the Lord of Bones in his place. He still burns alive. It looks like Mance burns alive, but Melisandre really glamours him to look like the Lord of Bones. I will say, replacing that with Melisandre killing the Lord of Bones with Tormund before Hardhome, it's a good trade-off. Great change. <laughs> Great change. change. I mean, they've done some things like that that have that are better than the books, and they were not working with very good material. A lot of other, that fifth book you can skip. What but, they did you know, not do a good job of was Beyond the Wall. And I know for many Game of Thrones fans, it's blasphemous to say that Beyond the Wall is not a good episode of television. But as far as Game of Thrones is concerned, it sucks. It sucks. The only other episode that's worse is when Sansa gets raped. So for me, someone going into Season 8 with low expectations, with a lot of hope, I'm having to, in my own brain, re-kind of write beyond the wall so that I can accept whatever comes before me. Now, you know that the night King has a dragon, an ice dragon. That's why they did this. So they could give the night King a dragon that he could burn down the wall with great. So the night King has a dragon. How did he get that dragon? We know how the show did it. Sending the nine best fighters in Westeros beyond the wall in the stupidest plot and plan ever to capture a weight to take to a psychopath that wasn't going to believe them anyway and guess what it was all for naught she didn't believe you anyway she's getting the, uh, an army together she's going to let you go fight and die and then she's going to just take on what's left with her new army that she bought with a great joy so you and i were talking about this earlier today i want you to tell me when i get done with my little rewriting of beyond the wall whether it works what could be better and how it fits to the grand narrative as far as what we know from this particular episode. Okay. All right. So here we go. I don't understand what they've done to Bran. I know what his arc is. Obviously, he's the Three-Eyed Raven. He had to go replace the Three-Eyed Raven. But they really never added much to the story other than, hey, man, you got to learn. You got to learn quickly. You're the Three-Eyed Raven. That's all you hear. And Bran just became that. I'm the Three-Eyed Raven now. I'm the Three-Eyed Raven now. There was no trial and error with this. He's pretty new still to green scene. He's still new to warging, to all of this in his life. Now, he's aged dramatically in the show because, hey, guess what? Kids go, get older. But that he could just simply and seamlessly become Blood Raven makes no sense. As Jon Snow had to have trial and error to become uh, the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch to become the King of the North, for Rob to become the King of the North. Rob had trial and error that ultimately cost him his life because why? He married a foreign girl when he was supposed to be betrothed to one of Walder Frey's daughters, right? Bran, you never got any of that exposition as far as his character is concerned. To fix Beyond the Wall, Bran is the most important. It's hard. It's this, but that's, it was always the hardest thing to do is to show Bran. Him able to describe the scenes he's seeing and you can only show that in these trippy sequences. We talked about that when we did it a couple of years ago, what you asked me, what brand possibly could they could do with brand storyline? I said that they could show use him to fill in some historical gaps, which they have. And they showed some trial and error. I mean, Hodor was, you know, hold the door was the main example of him 
using that and trial and error. But I, I get what you're saying. It's, yeah. it's, it's basically like he got downloaded like a floppy disk. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you're mm-hmm. right. If they show too much of that, then you're kind of taking away big moments that television needs, especially Game of exactly. Thrones, to be interesting. But, okay, trial and error, new to green scene, new to warging, all of this. You can't show the exposition of brand, whatever. But why not? Because the Night King touched him. That's what allowed the White Walkers to get into the tree and kill Blood Raven and I guess what's remaining or what was remaining of the Children of the Forest. Why not, because they're connected in some way, have some symbiotic relationship, have the Night King, and maybe it's a moment in which Bran is having his little zen time, touching a tree, whatever it might be, to just see things. The Night King, with that symbiotic relationship, give him a false thing that's happening. Like Voldemort did with Harry in the fifth Harry Potter book. Right. And my thought was the Night King gives to Bran or lets him see an attack on Eastwatch. Or Or, or, any Castle Black, any of them. Yeah, just maybe they've taken siege to Castle Black. And you got Dolores Ed leaving the last remnants of the Night's Watch against this huge army. If if we were to say Eastwatch, they could do the other side, which is Shadow, which is uh, Eastwatch by the Sea and the Shadow Tower. Yeah, you could do the Shadow Tower. That would, that's because that's where the land, it meets at land. And so you can, I think that if you're talking about places where they're looking to attack, I think they'd attack at Eastwatch. And um, that, I mean, not in Eastwatch, but at uh, the Shadow Tower on the west side of the wall. Okay. So Dolores said and the remaining remnants of Castle Black and all the Knights, uh, or, or, you know, all the brothers of the Night's Watch, they're descending on the shadow tower because mm-hmm. it's got a cool night- bridge called the, the 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 it's got a really big bridge across it too. So the Night King has shown this to Bran, but it's not real. But he sees it, and of course, John. One of the n- things we know about John is his loyalty, and he takes up arms and goes and supports the people that are closest to him. And I think no one would argue that he would have that loyalty to Dolores Ed. So absolutely, he's going to put together not just. A, a group of nine, but a bigger group. And I think the wildlings are, or the wildling army that he used to fight in the battle of the bastards. And you can even, yeah. I see where you're going now. I see where you're going now. And yeah. I, you know, you could actually add the dumb, get a white to, to prove it to me plot to that. And it would fix so many different things. Yeah. But you don't already. even need to do that. Here, look, uh, you don't, that's a, I agree. I agree with you. I'm just saying, right. If you're that lazy and dumb, if you're that, if you really, if you really want to continue to have Cersei a part of the circle, you can still add that dumb. It's a good B plot because it is logical. It's what they try to do in the books anyway. And Tyrion wouldn't see the guy before the hand that tried to kill Jorah Mormont still decayed enough. So it's, I see, I think I agree with you. I thought I see where you're going. Maybe they get to Shadow Tower and nothing's happening. Right. So John and his nine, they stay. They say, okay, Dolores said, they call him to Shadow Tower. We saw this. My green scene, warging brother, told me about this. That would, of course, you would have needed the reconciliation moment between Bran and John earlier um, you in have the that, series. Yeah, that reunion. Yeah, had that reunion, reunion last Castle year. Black. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, had that last year when they arrived at Castle Black. They're together. Anyway, nothing's happening. So John effectively takes the sources, you know, whatever resources he has at his disposal. He sends most of the people back to Winterfell, and maybe he sends Tormund to join him. It doesn't matter. Pick somebody. But he's there. He says, "Okay, while we're here, um, we can get the war. I mean, we can get the little weight that we need. I don't even think that's necessary. Maybe when you get there, there's this just small group 
He doesn't have a, he's, so he's got his army. It's him and the nine in the, in the army. They're there. Nothing's there. But the Night King has sent a group because he has this massive army. And they do lay siege to the Shadow Tower. So you think it's really happening. But then they easily dispose of that. But what that does is allows the Night King to go at John. He's trying to basically bring John into a trap. But see, Bran has seen this, or the, the fake vision, at the Shadow Tower. And he's warned so he lures him. He lures him into the big circle as opposed yes. to having him fight in the middle of the circle. Right. You he's have the lured same, him you have, in here. You, have the same, you can have the same set if you really yeah, want Yeah, same thing. All things the same. But Bran has told Danny or Tyrion or whatever it might be, and it's been whomever, relayed to Danny. The message, yeah, that message is, can be to, from whomever. Yeah. Yes, they, they're, but they're in different places. But Danny knows, I've got to go help this dude. We're in an alliance now. She's taken off. So now the travel issue is solved. You don't have, oh, God, that's the worst part of it. Gendry running at, I guess, the most fat, breakneck speed in the world ever to go relay the message. No, Danny's already on her way because Bran has read the, relayed this to her. Maybe they sent a raven. It got the fastest raven, the fastest raven alive. Just so, like it is in the so once the trap has been laid and they're now fighting for their life and you're going to have to take out some people, you know, you, maybe the hound yeah, but has you to can die. Have the, you can have the standoff where they wait for a day and a half, two days. On yeah, the, sure. I mean, that, yeah. that was less logically implausible than other things. So sure, they, they had that moment, whatever. But Danny's coming, and right when it's time to fight, it starts fighting. Then she comes in, like she just like she did. Instead of having the javelin throw, which made absolutely no sense whatsoever, the one thing I get stuck on is how can the Night King still get that dragon? They the thing that makes sense—he he wargs into one. Was to, but see, that, I think that you're why can't he warg into point. one? Can he warg in the books? Mm. The Night King can warg. No. Oh, no, okay. Okay. I think that I think you're ever I think you're ever thinking. I think the the death of the dragon and his ability to kill dragons with those with the with their weapons I think is a huge development. And uh, even though the the CGI was not as well done as it could have been, and why would he not hit the dragon two inches close? I mean, that's literally four feet in front of his face as opposed to long distance Steph Currying all the way to the other one. Yeah, and don't make the dragon fall into the water to where you wonder, where did the chains come from? Have they been they, dragging they, these chains they, forever? They dropped, them, they dropped them down there to those dead people that are down in the water. Or, or, the chains were always there because they were a part of the trap. The grand plan of the night. You can do that, yeah. You can have, that's the, that's, you know, you can have that, you can make that a, and you can even have the dramatic, the laying of the hands when the eyes pop open, which is that a great, all makes that, sense. that was a great ending shot too. Yeah, the plan is where I had the problem. Absolutely. And, and that all, that brings everything together. The Night King touched him. We understand that there's sound, logical reasoning for John and those gang of nine to be there. And why he would take some of the best fighters. He's going to go help Dolores said They're going to back up this siege of the Shadow Tower. It's happening. And they go. But it was a Night King trap that he used for a brand who is not experienced with this yet he doesn't know what's real and what's not he's still processing just like thing. harry was not used to right because mm -hmm. it's similar to it's, it's similar to how harry god we're nerding out it's similar to how harry well, and I mean, voldemort you are you connected you just you you need to you need to understand the audience needs to understand that you are late on the harry potter bandwagon that you didn't have get to have this conversation i didn't when we all did I no didn't. but it's the same thing harry and voldemort's connection the exact same thing with the night king and bran and it would all make perfect sense. Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's not. I, okay. no, it would make more sense too because it would show how dangerous he is. Because obviously, his power derives from the same source that Brand does, like you said. Yep. 
it brings it all together. So that's how I'm operating moving forward. And now that's the question, a good rewrite. That's a that's good headcanon. And this becomes the question now. The Night King has his dragon based off of the plot he used to get in the brain of Bran, who he touched to first kill Blood Raven and then to form a symbiotic relationship. He has that dragon. It burned down the wall. Are there going to be either of the other dragons join their brother Viserion as an ice dragon, or will it just be no. ice? Okay. okay. I think that they'll that Ray, Gaul, and Viserion will kill each other. I think that Drogon, if any if any of the dragons live, I think Drogon will be the one to live. Yeah, he has to. Right. I mean, you can't He's kill Drogo and then Drogon. In it will in the um the original three dragons that helped conquer Westeros. Um Vagar, Meraxis, and Balerion, the Black Dread, which, um, you know, the sisters of Aegon the Conqueror, Aegon the First, rode both of those dragons. And um, Meraxis and the younger sister died in Dorne. Dorne, the, that's the reason why the Targaryens hated Dorne for so long. It's because they were the one of the few kingdoms that actually could resist the Targaryens. Oh. And uh, they actually, the, when the grandmother, the great, 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 great grandmother of Doran Martell and the, the terrible Martell storyline, Oberyn's ancestor, she said uh, that that you could take your fire and blood. And un, she said that she repeated the Martell words, unbowed, unbent, unbroken. She said, go back to your castle. I and will say, like too. The, and they didn't. They messed up Dorne, so you don't get to have these cool history lessons. But yeah, Dorne's the the Dorn. younger dragon always dies, and I think that mirrors what's going to happen. And Vagar ended up living a long time, but I don't think that the other two dragons will, because none of them were as big as Balerion. I think that Dorne is the most egregious mistake. But George didn't make it that interesting from a character standpoint. You have Doran and his bodyguard area. It was really Oberyn that was the most interesting and far and away, right? But he, but the rest of his family is interesting too, except for Quentin, who's the, the brother. He ends up dying over in Marine. He tries to go over there and court Daenerys, and he ends up getting burned alive because the Martells do have dragon blood in them. I mean, the only reason they Doran got, came into the Seven Kingdoms was because of marriage. It wasn't they the only kingdom of the Seven Kingdoms that stayed in their form until they got conquest by marriage. And uh, shows you how well they could, the Martell family had control in the Sun Spear and all of, of all of the South. In which, the I think another reason they could have had a backstop and a stalwart in the South against the Night King is because it's the desert and you know ice people aren't going to cross the desert. They could have resisted them too, but they completely screwed the pooch. And 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 I understand because George doesn't make it a good story, even in the books. It's boring in a lot of places. I don't want to just sit here and bitch. I feel like I do that too much about Game of it's Thrones. It's okay. I do love Game of Thrones. It's, it's easily a, one it's of my a favorite pastime. shows. It's a pastime of Game of Thrones fans. You've been waiting a long time. It's great. I love it. It's the best. There are questions, before we get to them, really quickly, in the books, do you think Marcella's still dead? Or does die? She doesn't die in the book. She isn't dead in the books yet. Marcella, uh, no, I, I think she she's very horribly maimed, though. In Sunspear, she's in oh. Dorne. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. she's the yeah. She gets her face cut, and they don't want to tell Cersei because Cersei's just gotten out of prison, and uh, they're afraid it'll send her over the edge. So the and especially because Oberyn has the Sand Snakes, who are awful in the show. Oh, they're so bad. 
But in the books, there's much more mystery, and especially one of the younger ones, uh, like the the one who became a Septa, she is a secret agent in in Sam's storyline, who's at the Citadel. So they think that the Martells will be involved there and figuring out, you know, why the dragons came back, where this magic, why magic is coming back into the world. The Sand Snakes were just one dimensional in the show. It's terrible. Um, and to show and to show their breasts. Yeah. We're going to cover a lot of things over the next couple of weeks. Game of Thrones comes back April 14th. One thing I want to do is talk about the best pairings in Game of Thrones history because I want to talk about Arya right. and Tywin, but I'm not going to do that now. We don't have much time. We've got questions to get to. First, Austin Brown, my buddy Austin. Do you think Sam is the narrator of Game of Thrones? I think it's a really it's a, be a good way to do it, kind of like how Sam in The Lord of the Rings was the narrator for The Lord of the Rings. I think that really would make it, you know, he's the maester or grand maester telling the story to the child of John Daenerys, which I think is the, probably the most plausible scenario. The story of his father, the story of her father, whomever, whatever that child's name may be. A lot of these questions that we've got, we've covered before, but if you want to answer them quickly, go for it. What will Bran's role be in all this from Austin? He's just going to be the... He's going to be Wikipedia. You know, he's also going to be the he's going to be the wizard. Like there's going to be some he's going to have to warg into one of the dragons, I think, or one of the dire wolf packs. And the you know it's a chess match between him and the uh, the night king in some places in the the mystic realm, for lack of a better term. We talk about Arya more than any other character, but we really haven't touched on this specifically. How will Arya get her revenge on the Lannisters? We've talked about who she'll kill, the role in the big game, all those things. But how will she, in particular, get her revenge on the Lannisters? I would think it would be great if Cersei does turn into the Ice Queen. And that's really the only way I could see her character doing something other than just die. Um, so I hope that she, with her Valyrian dagger, the one that the one that started, the, the Valyrian dagger that started... It's Littlefinger's dagger. That started the War of the Five Kings that Joffrey yeah. used to try mm-hmm. to pay the... Yeah. So that would be poetic justice. Especially because the way that the Lannisters used their family, used her sister, um, killed her father to to get the Mad Queen or the Ice Queen in my scenario. I like get her that. back. It feels like the Night King isn't all the way dead. And this He's is just, something else. This is purely He's, speculative and purely it's pure nonsense, quite frankly. This is just me spitballing. It'd be kind of awesome. It'll never happen. It's totally dumb. Completely disregard this after I say it. But say Cersei became the Night Queen, and she still has some it is of her— very, It's very possible. But she still—no, that's possible, but this is the part that's not. She maintains some of her humanity or who she was, like the Night King maybe d- does, and then Arya stabs her with the Valyrian steel dagger to kill her, and then somehow like the blue eyes fade a little bit, and it's a little bit of Cersei to realize, oh, a Stark got me. I think she'll be able to realize it anyway. The oh. In the Legend of the Night King and the First Night King, oh, he was the thirteenth. He was the thirteenth commander of the Night's Watch, and he fell in love with a woman. With it's in, in the in this obvious ancient tale, he fell in love with a woman of pure white, which is describes a White Walker, and he ends up sleeping with her. And then when he sleeps with her, it gives basically it infects him, and he becomes he crowns himself the Night King. It's why all the castles. On the wall, which are a bunch, 20 of them, they don't have uh, carpet walls on the outside. They don't have 
the parapets and stuff that regular castles have. You have to be able to approach them from the south because he took almost all of them over and crowned himself king in the north with her as his bride. And so it would be a cool parallel in the show as if he rides back south and the queen in the south does the same thing. And it would be the ultimate betrayal of Jamie too. And he has a Valerian sword too, by the way. It would so he would give him incentive to try to kill a sister too, which is I would accept either one. She's just gonna die. A handful of these questions I can answer without really going to Mace Daniel, right. and I will. But um, I'll let you rank yours as well. From the last one from Austin, most satisfying death: Joffrey, Littlefinger, or High Sparrow. Well, Littlefinger's is easily third. I thought that was convoluted. Yeah. Messy. So Joffrey, the High Sparrow, and Littlefinger. But I kind of like the High Sparrow. I hated but Cersei. Too, I, I like always John will hate Bryce. Cersei. Yeah. And but Joffrey is easily the most satisfying. Yeah, easy. Not even close. Such a such a great character to hate. Yeah. When he chokes and he dies, you laughed. Everyone laughed. We all laughed. You're not supposed to laugh at death. We laughed. Well, then you were merely horrified because you knew Tyrion was in trouble. Yeah, but that purple face with the blood running down his nose. Mm-hmm. It was good. It was good. <laughs> Especially uh, after you called me at 2 o'clock in the morning to, to tell me, to impress, impress upon me that you couldn't believe Ned was dead. They just killed him. I went into like Game that. of Thrones completely blind. Daniel can attest to this. I was completely blind. I just started it. I didn't read anything. I didn't have any notes. I just started it. So I, it was like Harry Potter. I, I was earlier to Game of Thrones than Harry Potter, though. So give me that one. Right. No, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. That's not hype. I'm just glad you did it. Yeah, I finally did. Hunter Kinneberg, and now it's an obsession, and this is what I do with my life. Hunter Kinneberg, I can answer this one. Where will Jamie be to begin the final season? In Winterfell, telling Jon Snow or. All the Stark children, quite frankly, because he pushed Bran out of a window, why he should be able to stand beside them and fight. That's where he'll be. I think. I agree. Not a foul at Rebel Sandman. Odds that Jamie is Azora High, he linked the Reddit theory that you and I have both read about the Golden Hand and how Jamie could potentially be or why he is Azora High. He's not Azora High. I don't think so either. I think that's a bunch of the, the prince that was promised in all these myths, I think, will be personified by. John and Daenerys together in some in some combination because it describes them individually anyway in a lot of ways. And both of those myths, especially in the books, are more expounded upon. But I think at the end of the day, it comes down to that, that those two are the ones, the fulfillment of the prophecy or their child. One at Powder Blue OMR. This is where you and I differ completely as far as our opinions are concerned. Is Tyrion a Targaryen? I still say yes. no. I know we disagree, but I, I, I think it would but that it would completely nullify the the relationship he has with his father. That whole relationship is predicated on the fact that Tyrion and Lannister was inferior in Tywin Lannister's eyes as a son, and he and if Tywin Lannister knew, and this is the most important point that I press upon people who keep t- saying that me is if Tywin, me if Tywin no, it's not just you. If Tywin Lannister knew that his son wasn't his son, do you think he would hesitate to kill that child? He'd send him to the front of the vanguard to when they he, when they yeah. fought um, Rob Stark's two thousand men. I mean, he tried to kill him. I mean, he tried to. He, he did, had creative he, ways he, to kill him. He, that, and you, but you forget that Jamie had been He had been. Jamie was moving to become Warden of the West. He was going to revoke Jamie's Kingsguard. This was Tywin's plan from the beginning. When after Robert died, he moved immediately to get Jamie off the King's Guard to renounce his vow, because he'd already killed a king, so it wouldn't be politically safe. But it would be to somewhat poetic 
it would be poetic in very George R. Martin if Jamie Lannister, Kingslayer, kills a Targaryen and protects with his life his little brother who turns out to be a Targaryen. But I think he's going to he's going to do it protecting John and Daenerys. He's already doing it to protect Targaryens. Uh, okay. Okay. And I think, but, uh, but that's, I think you look at Tywin and it's Tywin's reaction when he finds out that Jamie has been captured and he brings Tyrion into the fold with Kevin, his younger brother, who's the only other person he's ever trusted. Worst name character in Game of Thrones. But it's, but he's actually in the books. You really like him. Kevin, I think is it. Cause it's spelled with an A doesn't matter, but it shows that his reaction that he knows that Tyrion is really his son. And in the fourth books, if you read if you read A Face for Crows, he's talking to one of his aunts, and his aunts, who who's married to a Frey, which is how the Lannisters and the Freys are connected in the first place, he says to them that, uh, he says that, she said, you know, that you have your mother's personality, and Jamie does a lot. He has a much more tender heart, and she says, Cersei wants to be Tywin, but can't. And she said, the one that's most like Tywin is Tyrion. Because it's his son, and that's their whole relationship. That's the way he and he spends all his time in the fifth books, drunk on a river, contemplating the relationship with his father. Why would you spend that much time and energy just to pull a M Night Shyamalan twist and have <laughs> Ares be his dad? I know you're. It doesn't right. make it. It doesn't make I a lot of sense. I know you're right. I know. I know. I'm not. I'm just. I'm. You know. I'm just I know. trying I'll, to be logical I, about it. I defer to Mister Daniel. At Ole Miss John, we got to do these a little bit more quickly. We're running out of time here. Do y'all have any predictions on the Game of Thrones prequel or what y'all would like to see from it? I know I'm ahead of the game, but just curious. I'd like to go back to the Age of Heroes. I don't want to see anything like the connects because that's the problem with the prequels and Star Wars and stuff is it connects to too much to the modern day. I think they need to go back further. That's that's what I would like to see. Yeah, me too. I, I like that more. Uh, I, I'm more bullish on the new Star Wars movies. Um, I have my problems with The Last Jedi, like most everyone else in this planet, but um, I, I agree. Like it, All the prequels are, the real problem with them is too much copycatting, like the Resistance, Absolutely. the Rebellion, the First Order. That's I mean, the, and the, the, and the sequel story so it suffers from the exact same thing you just talked about. Yeah, yeah. Give me. I want a whole different tale set in the same world, but I, I don't Knights need the old Republic. Like if you're going back in time in Star Wars, you have yeah, something back then yeah. a thousand years ago. I don't need to see like Ned Stark was born. I, I'm good. No. Derek Taylor at DVT for life. Do you see a scenario where there is no throne at the end of this, the battle Absolutely. and chaos and loss is too much for humanity. The odds are so stacked against the living. I see the living winning, but at what cost everything? Do you see Don, John and Danny both perishing? Yes, more than I would see them both living. And I think, but I, I highly doubt that they're just going to get rid of I think the throne will be taken by people that have been war weary and have been through most of everything. I think it'll be bleak, but hopeful, kind of like a Cormac McCarthy movie or, or, movie, or book. Podrick's going to be on the throne. Shane Kirkland, what is being held? I've asked you this and you really couldn't answer. What is being held deep down in the crypts of Winterfell, the Night King's old lady, perhaps? I don't think so. They're not going to bring bring in a character like that. I think that would be too cheap. I think that he 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 raises some of the Stark dead from the crypts, and he raises um, somebody that's close to the children. The only reason why Arya would be running away something that affected her deeply. Corey Clark at Athletic underscore Clark. Wow, Corey, Athletic <laughs> underscore Clark. Okay, golly. 
modest much? In the trailer, you see Cersei crying and drinking wine, possibly while pregnant. She's a hard-hearted character and doesn't cry almost at all throughout the series. What are some possibilities that you think could happen to cause that, and do you think she dies this season? I was kidding, Corey. I was just messing with you. What do you think? Lost the baby, and yeah, she's going to die. But I don't think it'll be as quickly as everybody thinks it's going to be. Yeah, I think she's dying in the first four episodes. Yeah, well, it's only six episodes. She, so. She's a survivor. She's a survivor too. So, yeah, never forget sure. that. She she will do anything to maintain power. She's crying because she lost that baby. Absolutely. She's drinking wine because she lost that baby. When she's sitting there talking to Tyrion, and Tyrion tries to pour her a glass of wine to drink with him when they're having the great powwow after the stupid meeting in the dragon pit in King's Landing, she turns down the wine. She's drinking the wine. And she's crying because she lost the baby. Agree. Yeah. All right. Well, that was that one. Um, okay. Swayze underscore crazy or at Swayze crazy one. Who ends up on the Iron Throne? Does Tyrion or Arya kill Cersei? Arya between the two. I don't think Tyrion is going to do it. I think no. Tyrion's going to have some really bad storytelling, unfortunately. Yeah, there's going to be some betrayal we don't like. But who ends up on the Iron Throne? John and Daenerys' child. Boy or girl. It'd be cool I think if, like, Varys was protecting the, It'd be cool if, like, Varys... I know that Melisandre said that Varys has to die, too, but it'd be cool if, like, Varys is beside the son-daughter of Danny and John. That'd be kind of cool. as the whisperer. He, uh... There's there's secrets that he... In the, you know, in the book, he's, there's another, a whole other conspiracy. He brings what he claims is, Ra- is Rhaegar's child, Aegon, who survived the sack of King's Landing, who wasn't killed by Gregor Clegane. And it's with him that... Um, Tyrion spends a lot of the fifth book the boy they call him um, he would be Aegon the sixth but um, they call him young Griff in the books and you know I think that Varys is protecting the Targaryen line and there's a there's a rumor that he's carrying a Valyrian sword which would be one of the original swords Dark Sister is the name of the one that he would be carrying it's the one that the original Aegon the Conqueror's sister carried the one who rode Vagar the original three dragons. So it would be fitting for him to be a still a Targaryen loyalist, which he is a secret Targaryen loyalist in the books. I think that would be cool to have him be a secret Targaryen and continue to be a Targaryen. It'd be a nice little nod to a bunch of nerdy book readers. Jim Simpson at Jim Sim eight. I can answer the first one. Why didn't the white Walker that made eye contact with Sam, um, not kill him at the fist of the first men? I actually called Daniel after I watched this during my rewatch at like midnight, one in the morning. Same question. It's all camera work. If you actually rewatch it, they did it really tricky. Sam looks up and then you see the white Walker look down. But when it like pans back, there's the rock where supposedly Sam was sitting in front of it. Sam wasn't there. No, Sam wasn't there. They, it was, it was a camera trick. They wanted you to think those things. They basically, we're putting two shots side by side. Sam was probably far off somewhere else. And he hid behind a rock as they were getting in his general vicinity. But they don't think he ever got close to the White Walkers, but he did see he them. Did. Mm-hmm. That, that White Walker did not look down. He, he, they did the camera like that so you could see the face and put a face on the White Walkers. The White he Walkers. Wanted to, yeah, it wanted yeah. to reveal them. And, they, and there was such it's a vague trip. threat. And they were a vague threat for you know, through the first seasons and the first books. And only until the very end of the fifth book are they even, you know, creeping, coming. It's not like it isn't because, you know, Hard Home put it in your face, man. That's what made the – it really ramped up the speed in which the show had to come together. And so the writers were working on a very much tighter schedule 
which is it's affected their writing, but they were also adapting material that they weren't originators of. They know the characters. They don't know them as well as George R. R. Martin. And George R. R. Martin didn't have time. He started. He would write episodes. He quit writing episodes to quote unquote write the book. But we know what that really means, Ben. I mean, <laughs> no, it's never going to happen. So, you know. Yeah, it was a camera trick. If you look at the rock, Sam's nowhere to be found. That, no, it's not all there. it was was so you, could, you as the as the audience could put a face to White Walkers mm-hmm. through the eyes of Sam, Absolutely. even though he wasn't there. And that's why it makes sense then when he's running in the opening shot of the next season away from the White Walkers. Look, if he was running, those things would have caught him in two seconds. And then they would have done what they, yeah, what they'd done the very first season, the very first time you see them. They would have yeah. just stabbed him, stabbed him, making, yeah. you know. They let one go free, but they wouldn't have let, that was one of three in the season or series opener. They wouldn't have done it with Sam. They'd have killed him quickly. So yes. I'm with you, Jim. I had the same confusion. And then Daniel and I kind of talked through it. And that's one of those logic leaps that you have to make, just like I completely rewrote <laughs> Beyond the Wall. But I do give the writers credit. I don't think that they intended for you to think that Sam was actually there. I think they were just kind of trying to mess with their audience a little bit. But the second question, how could Littlefinger know so many things but know literally nothing about Ramsey? That's a point of contention I've had for so long. We talked about that when it happened. When, If you go back to when we were doing this, when that season aired, and we talked about how much we disliked the scene, about how much we disliked how it meant for the political intrigue, because it, politically it really brought you nothing. Um, they had to slam together the material from the fourth and fifth books. Again, they combined her with Jean Grey, or that's Jean Grey. That's the Phoenix from Marvel. Um, that's a- but uh, it, she, she's a guy. I can't remember her name, but uh, that character that Theon saves, the the one who was part of her court of, you know, of little girls that of, of other noble families. Jean she Poole. was Poole. Thank you. Golly. Jean Grey. I can't believe I said that. That's <laughs> anyway. You're gonna lose a you're gonna lose a link off that Maester chain, Daniel. Uh doesn't doesn't matter. I mean, we're talking about the, she she's a throwaway character at this point. I don't care about the books. The books are never gonna get finished. So I'm I'm kinda glad that um they slammed together storylines because it got closure for a lot of them. Um but when it happened, it made no political sense. It hadn't it, there was nothing to gain from that match. And it didn't give, you know, she, and especially in the books, it shows how obsessed he is with sense of the idea of how he, she looks just like a young Caitlin and how obsessed he was with Caitlin Stark. And he would never put her in position because he would already have heard about his cruelty in the North and what he did with the Ironborn. He would, he knows that already. He tries to keep Sansa away from that. So it was dumb on its face. So I agree with, it just, it's another one of those that, they just kind of took a leap with, kind of like with Doran, like, okay, this is what it is. You just have and to they accept that. Yes. Mm-hmm. You just have to accept that one. I, I'm, I'm with you, Jim. I have that exact problem. Littlefinger's equal in stature as a whisperer, as Varys. That's one of the fun things is the, they're probably back the, and the, forth. Two, the two most dangerous people They in know the whole everything. Country. They know everything. Yeah. They don't need ravens. They've got voices and whispers everywhere. It made no sense. To this day, it makes no sense. As a show watcher, you just got to accept it. It sucks. Rob Alvarez, at Rob Alvarez, with two Cs. Uh Uh-oh, Rob. We already touched on this. Odds that Tyrion is Targaryen. Daniel says 0%. I say 52. It's not going to happen. 5248, huh? So I've I've chipped away. I've chipped away, so it's 5248. That's good. It's good enough. The Mad King, Rob says, 
had an obsession with Tywin's wife after all. That's true. Do you think Danny will be pregnant with John's kid? We covered that one too, Rob. Absolutely. Yes. That's absolutely. Mm-hmm. Daniel mm-hmm. says that that child will end up on the Iron Throne. Yeah. So, what do you think the name will be? If it's a boy, it's got to be Aegon. Oh, well, I say that. It could be Eddard. Eddard. I mean, they could do that too, which would be really nice because Ned is the real noble one and he would be a noble king who would do things for his realm and for his people as opposed for the wheel that Danny wanted to break. It would really be a breaking of the wheel because the country itself is about to get really, really dead all of a sudden. It's going to be dead, man. It's going to be a lot of dead. It's going to be a lot of dead people. Uh, so. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Which castle does Bronn get? Does he make it? I think he makes it. Yeah, he it. makes it. He, in the in the books, he has married this woman who uh, gets horribly gang-raped at, a, at the Prince Joffrey while Stannis in the very second, the second book is barricading and blockading King's Landing with Davos and all of his ships. They, Joffrey takes a ride in the city with all of his court because he's an idiot. And these people are starving because they can't get food. They can't get anything because of the blockade. And so they, they rip, they try to get him off the horse and they rip this woman. Lawless stock Stokeworth is her name. The Stokeworth castle, which is close to the heartland of King's landing, the Kings, the Kings part of the seven kingdoms. Uh, and, uh, that's who Bronn marries and gets her and knocks her up with a boy and they name it Tyrion <laughs> under Cersei while Cersei's queen. And it's the most Bronn thing ever. It makes me like Bronn's character even better. And, and he's great in the show and I hope he lives and I hope he gets Stokeworth castle. I hope they, they'll do a nice little nod to that, but he's alive and kicking. He's still, he's still rebelling against the status quo. We'll do another one. Spend the night is dark and full of spoilers. Thank you, Mr. Daniel. Always a pleasure, man.